You got oh. a buzz. There. Look. Better? How's that? No buzzing. No buzzing. No, because I was on a, I was on a two different. I was on t- a, d- a different microphone and different speakers. And now I'm on the same ones, because it would be really difficult for Zoom to just remember that when I when I want to talk in this specific meeting called Food Safety Talk, and my microphone and headphones are connected, that it would just automatically can like put the the sound and audio through all of that. Right, like that. It seems like computers should know how to do that. Well, you know what it all. Well, you know what it also seems like computers should do. Uh-huh. Um, it's. It, I'm looking now at a thread on the discussions.apple.com oh. entitled "AirPods Max Wired Connection Does Not Work." See, and what? there are what? so so many 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 people. Uh, there's five pages of comments where people are really angry. My so <laughs> can I tell you that that currently I'm not one of those because my AirPods Max wired connection works right now. Work is working. Mm. As far as I as far and, as I know. And and what did you do to fix it? I I just plugged it in. Um, yeah. On this one computer, but also, well, who knows? You know what? Yeah, it should it, it it's working because the the audio says it's coming through that through my yeah. my microphone it's not yeah. uh, well, it's not coming through a speaker that is my yep um my other my my thing it's not even showing up in bluetooth when it's plugged in so yeah well it's my my i'm i'm using my lovely airpods max oh. uh, but in it but in an unwired state because oh. i want to use my good microphone and I want to hear you in my good headphones. Um, but if I connect the two of them, it stops working. In an unwired state is like, um, <laughs> I, it's like, like, do you know the, in a land down under? Do you know that? Yeah. Song? Yeah. It's like yeah. that. Yeah. Men, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in a land. Where women, women blow and men chunder. Yeah. 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 It, that, I saw, I saw that guy, Colin Hay. Is a guy who's uh, with the men at work, men at work. Yeah. And his, and we've probably talked about this, um, but his solo album, uh, a solo acoustic album is also amazing. Oh, I didn't, yeah. it, I don't think we have. I saw him. He, I, I went, I went to a concert one day uh, in, in my uh, adult life, but with small children, which is like, mm. there, there's been a, I don't know. Like I, I, I was telling somebody recently that probably from when I was 16 to age 28, I went to like 10,000 concerts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what mm-hmm. it felt like. Right. Like, like mm-hmm. every, I yeah. just, that, that all of, all of my money th- went to that. Um, and, and I, we, I used to, I really, really like live music and then, uh, and then I had children and, and it became very difficult to take them to, to concerts and smoky places and clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, smoky but, clubs, smoky clubs. Um, but then I, I, uh, it, one of, one of my, um, uh, a, a group of my countrymen, uh, mm-hmm. the, the bare naked ladies played mm. in, in Raleigh and two, other uh, groups open for them, or one was Colin Hay, and he was the first opening band, and and the second opener was the Violent Femmes, which is a band who I really really like and I had never seen before. And this is probably like 
2013 or 2015 or something. But I didn't know who Colin Hay was until we went and saw him sing. I was like, it's the Men at Work guy. I know this song. And he was awesome. He was really, really good. So he's Mm -hmm. got a, a, what what you're, what you're telling me is I need to add his solo acoustic uh, um, album to my, to my Apple. Yeah. I, and I, I think, I think it's, I think it's called the album that I'm thinking of. um, I think is called going somewhere. Going somewhere. Where's he going? Um, Talking down under heart. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, also looking at his Wikipedia article, it looks like um, uh, his 14th studio album. I just don't know what to do with myself where he covers um, a a bunch of great stuff, including uh, many rivers to cross Waterloo sunset and Wichita linemen, which are probably three of my favorite songs ever. So yeah, I'm, adding them going somewhere extended version added i don't just don't know what to do with myself added i wonder if the i just don't know what to do with myself um that is um that's that's a white stripe song but i wonder if that is a uh a cover that they did as well um Mm. well there we go what a great day thank you um (laughs) it's a dusty springfield song that the white stripes covered Oh, oh course, okay, sure, of course sure, it sure. is. It was written sure. by Burt Baccarat from oh, wow. uh, who who I know from uh, from Austin Powers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I think I know Burke Baccarat from uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, unless yeah. I'm getting things confused. I don't know. You know him from probably Burt Baccarat. Uh, <laughs> he was when he was just Burt Baccarat. He uh, um, Butch Cassidy. Uh, Raindrops you, keep falling on my head. Am I, 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 yeah. I got that right. You did. Damn, you did. Look at Osc- that Oscar-winning song. Yeah, Raindrops that's a good. That's a good movie. You've seen that movie, right? I. You know, I don't think I have. Oh, no. you should. Okay. You, I, you should. I won't. It. I won't spoil it for you. You should watch it. It's a good movie. I mean, okay. it's a good movie. I mean, Burt Bacharach soundtrack aside. I mean, that just you know, that's just you know, gilding oh. the lily. I think is what uh, they say. It's but, on yeah. uh, it's on HBO Max, which I have. Yeah. I've got that thing. Yeah. So, all right, done. I'm gonna look at this. What a day I've had of already, Don. You've <laughs> you have be, been invaluable <laughs> for my for my media consumption. Um. So and, so yeah. speaking speaking of um Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, have you seen the Sting? Uh. So yes, but okay, but the, let me tell you my Sting story. So mm. the Sting. <laughs> Not to be confused with Sting. No, I loved I loved him too uh, in, <laughs> when when he was with the with the police officers. Um, so so the Sting also well, and maybe I don't know this correctly, but the the Sting was a was also a play. Do do you know that Sting? The no. Play. Yeah, it's the Sting play. So the Sting, David. Uh, I think I assume that this is the same the same thing. Yeah, it's a full length play by David Rogers based upon the screenplay The Sting by David Ward. Oh, okay. I just found this on uh, <laughs> my other favorite website on dramaticpublishing.com. Uh, <laughs> which bum, bum, bum. <laughs> Yeah. So um so I I saw <laughs> The Sting because my high school put oh. on The Sting. I was not okay. in it. 
Um, mm. Although I was in some high school plays, this was not one that I was in, but I watched mm. it. I, I watched the, the play. And then um, I we like I, my friends and I rented the movie, and I I'm not I I would say that I enjoy <laughs> I enjoyed my high school's adaptation of the Sting the play better than the movie. Um, oh, okay, yeah. Right. Yeah, and, and, but but right. I think but but here's 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 probably why I think I was. 14 or 15 at the time and knowing my 14 year old now I, <clears throat> nothing was going to make me happy right um, and it was it was old like in mm -hmm. my in my mind that's what i remember mm -hmm. watching was like well this isn't you know this isn't like a a, a contemporary movie interesting but interesting. but about six or seven years after that i watched a lot of old movies well, in my mind, old mm. movies mm. like the Godfather trilogy. Mm. Well, not that the third one wasn't wasn't old, but um, and then like all the right stuff, which I guess maybe wasn't all that old, but it was mm. pre it was pre like 1997 uh, or or 1999. And I really like those. So now I probably need to go back and and, you know, view some of these classic movies um like like the sting and certainly i will i will watch on your recommendation butch cassidy and the sundance, sundance kid well and since we're speaking we're, this is now um high school um um high school play uh, talk. movie play high talk. School movie talk. Yeah, um yeah yeah i uh i watched the movie the sound of music and i also was on the crew for uh when we did the sound of music play and uh, I, uh, I I ran the lights. I had a, oh. I had a pivotal role in uh, uh, having this put the spotlight on the right person at the right time when they were singing uh, in certain scenes. So dramatic dramaticlighting.com would be. <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, I was uh, so so I uh, um, I did I did a little bit like I was never in one of the, the big plays, but I was mm. in the drama club. Uh, mm. Again, dr dramatic dramaticclubbing.com. Um, and <laughs> and I uh, so I, I did I, I remember um, Mr. Clark uh, and uh, I'm trying to think what I don't I can't remember what his first name was, but but Mr. Clark from Port of High School in the uh, you know late uh, early 1990s to mid 1990s was was a drama teacher and I really enjoyed taking drama class with him and then did these like small plays not not our big productions but but these like we had a we had a lecture theater where we would put on um smaller you know maybe like three person plays or five mm. people oh cool yeah mm -hmm. that were that I'm sure were like avant-garde uh at the time and I was in a I was in a play in 10th or 11th grade that was i i wish i could remember what the title was but the premise was this there were two um i, I was one of two soldiers who was hiding in world war ii and in italy and i was and we were found by an italian like an italian soldier or like a, a bunch of other Italian soldiers who never appeared. They were always uh, like off stage, and it was just the two of us like talking about being found and then pleading for our lives so they didn't kill us. Like that's what I remember of the play. It's very again dramatic plays in the lecture theater dot com. Um, but but that was uh, that that was one of and then I did like I did like improv, but I never was in one of the big one of the big plays. So.
Hmm. Or yeah, I'm googling. I'm I'm, I'm googling dramatic play two soldiers WW two Italian. Yeah. Um, but not finding anything. Hey, so I mean, I'm it, finding plenty of stuff, but not. It probably wasn't Miracle at uh, Saint Anna, which is the story <laughs> of four black American soldiers it who get not. in a Tuscan vill- village. Uh, that's probably that doesn't. Number one, you're not I'd black. Be canceled. And, I'd be canceled. And and yeah. yeah, and also there were four and not two. So and and also it's a movie from 2008. Well, yeah. Well, all of that, yeah. Uh, it's it's entirely possible, um, Don. That this was like a play that was written by someone in my high school. It might have been written by Mister Clark. <laughs> it was it was directed by like um, a, a senior in in high in my high school. So mm. it was yeah. It was like a whole. It, I don't know. It was a whole thing. So I, I don't know. Maybe for follow up. Maybe someone listening knows this play. Yeah, um, but someone uh, who's better at plays than us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah definitely. <clears throat> Um, I was in uh, in middle school, um, another play um, called um, uh, 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 um, Cosmic Pinball, which I think is a real play. Um, it was a it was a musical. Um, and uh, oh, you can find some YouTube clips. There's things on SoundCloud, but there there's got to be uh, some script here. Anyway, I played the uh, the voice of the pinball machine. <laughs> okay. Yep. So this is this is not is this uh, CBC.ca play cosmic pinball. It's a never ending retro pinball game with a space age look. I don't think so. That doesn't seem so. right. No, it's but from but, a dot a dot 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 ca domain. But yeah, um, well, yeah. Well, you can. What I will send for viewers is a forty-two minute uh, YouTube video of what looks like middle schoolers putting on the play. Cosmic oh, Pen. excellent! Oh, yeah, this is the top hit in YouTube. Yes, I see. <laughs> Which Very is good. not. Yeah, as far as I can tell. Um, let Let me. I'm I'm going through the ads right now. Um, in in five seconds, well, I will and, be able to tell you if it's me. <laughs> and the the first the first ad up, and this you maybe get different ads on your YouTube, uh, but the first ad up for me was for Preparation H uh, with the subtitle Backdoor Problems. <laughs> oh well, they yes, that's exciting. Um, th- this was the sixth grade musical Holiday Park Regency Pivot Center from Plumboro, Pennsylvania, in nineteen ninety three. So okay. yeah, it's a different. Uh, it's a different one than. Uh, oh, it's not. It's a different play. No, no, it's the same play. It's it's not me. I didn't go. It's to just that not school. you. Yeah, yes, <laughs> you. Yeah, you. You didn't go to Plumboro, PA. No, but if you. Okay, so I just. I just. Fast In nineteen ninety three. Not yeah. no, not to my knowledge. Um, <laughs> if you if you fast forward on this video to about six minutes and fifty seconds, you will see a uh, like a cardboard box cut out of a pinball machine, which I assume very much is Cosmic Pinball. And that is similar to what we had created because I guess all middle schools have the same or, you know, uh, uh, drama, you know, curricula. Um, and, and I, uh, was at some, at some points during the, the show, I had to be inside of this, this pinball machine. And then I would come out and I would sing as part of the chorus, but I did not stick my head through, um, that, that. So yeah, this is, uh, this is quite something. It's a quite, quite the, the, uh, um, just a flashback in time, Don. Thanks. Thanks for, for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Welcome to pinball safety talk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, so, okay. The, the only thing I had on my list that was not food safety related. Well, I had two things. One is the, the just the evergreen topic of hockey. 
so oh, I thought you were going to say the evergreen topic of the U.S. House of Representatives, but go oh, ahead. No, well that that too. Um, no, I so uh, my uh, my my home country uh, last night won the to the 2023 world junior um mm. championships yeah against uh against um uh chechia which uh which, which ah. used to be the the czech republic but is now officially known as chechia and we beat the united states in the semifinals and these were really good hockey games and my whole family was really into it so um it was it, i i watched so i i had a, a quick trip <clears throat> to florida mm. for for a meeting of of meeting of the minds of the department heads of uh, of the of the country in uh, like departments of mine and mm. i watched the semifinal game on the plane on the way there um and then in the car as i drove to to gainesville florida but i watched almost the entire finals yesterday uh on my ipad in the atlanta airport and don two things happened that i'm a little bit embarrassed about one is it was an overtime game and canada scored uh the winning goal in overtime and i had my headphones on with, <laughs> with noise canceling and, and i i did i i pumped my fist in in, a, in the waiting area <laughs> Uh, for my plane and yeah. said yes and and then realized that there was someone sitting directly across from me I had no idea what, <laughs> what i was doing and i just mm -hmm. did not explain i just pretended that i we didn't make eye contact um oh. and yeah and then the <laughs> second thing is i i i am very emotional about like the like sports things like this i don't mm -hmm. i don't know why um but don in the atlanta airport oh i know why Okay. Okay. Because is it because I spend a lot of time on this and yeah, I'm emotional? It's a, yeah, it's an important part of your life. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's okay. You're you're allowed to like sports. I'll I'll I'll, I'll allow it. I'm yeah. Well, and I'm so emotional watching. Like I I watched every mm -hmm. one of these games. I feel like the and and I I think for me this is it's an important tournament because I remember watching it when I was a kid and I've continued to watch it every year. It's around Christmas. Mm -hmm. My kids are really into it. Mm -hmm. Danny, yep. for some reason, is into it this year for the first time mm -hmm. ever. I think it's because the kids were excited about it, so she was she was excited about it. Um, and Don, I found myself after that that fist pump and then watching the celebration afterwards in the Atlanta airport weeping. Don, oh wow, mm -hmm. crying, crying about about this, like just the mm. the because I I think like I I I in a small little bit I understand the just amount of like time and hard work and dedication that these kids put in because I coach youth hockey and yeah. thinking about like some of these kids like man this is like what this will be some of them will 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 not go many of them won't go to play professional hockey like this this is the like the pinnacle of their um of their career and and like seeing them and then seeing team Chechia so upset and crying, I was like weeping in the, yeah. in the Atlanta airport after yeah. I was elated. So it was, it was very, it's very odd to, you know, yeah. to, no, to experience that. That seems like a, a normal thing. This is, I think this is why people um, watch sports and like sports. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's hard. I, it's hard. It's not something that I expected to be doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. So, um, yeah. Uh, okay. So hockey was the evergreen, and then the mm. uh, the other topic that was non like I, so there there is a movie that I watched on Netflix that I'm going to recommend to you because I think it's mm. fun, mm -hmm. but it's getting dragged everywhere. Um, oh. Yeah. Well, I don't know. The internet's a weird spot, right? Um, mm. uh, the the Knives Out mystery, the Glass Onion. 
Oh yeah, we watched it. Yeah, I, I thought it was very fun. Yeah. I I enjoyed yeah. it. I and I watched it. I liked it so much. I watched it twice. Once with my in laws and once with my kids. Um, well, you know, I, we we watched it once, and I think I would want to watch it again because there's just a lot going on in this movie. So it is. yeah, and, but people sometimes people who I really like on the internet get like make <clears throat> me feel that I'm not cool because I like something oh. like this. And, yeah. I try, and so anyway, I'm just going to come out and say I really enjoyed it. I liked it. And, well, and, yeah. yeah. And my, the most recent dragging of this uh, I experienced was listening to the Chapo Trap House episode from Monday um, where they talked about Avatar and could not shut up about how amazing James Cameron is. And they contrasted it to Glass Onion. It's like, it's, that's fine. I mean, it's fine. I mean, people, people should be able to like what they like and it's fine. And yeah. And I, I enjoyed, uh, uh, Glass Onion. And I think I would, I would want to watch it. Again. I actually want to go back and watch the first one and then, yeah. and then go back and watch this one again. And isn't, isn't, isn't Ryan Johnson. He's done a bunch of other stuff, right? Didn't he, he do Looper? He did Looper and he yeah. did um he did something else that I really liked. Well, he did Star Wars The Last Jedi. Last Jedi, yeah. Yeah. Uh and Rogue One. Actually, Rogue One yeah. is probably the the one that I loved him for the the most. I I liked Looper. It wasn't I guess it wasn't my favorite movie. Mm. Um I've not seen Brick. Um yeah, I'm trying to think of the other stuff that he's in. Those are, I guess those are the big ones. Yeah. Um so I, I went and rewatched the first Knives Out uh, mm -hmm. afterwards. So my my in-laws had never seen that. So we we got we were in Canada and we got snowed in for like three days in this blizzard. Mm. And it wasn't. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it was really interesting where we well, I mean, in, interesting is not even the right word because um, it's it's just a weather event. But we we <laughs> drove to Canada and, and people in Canada get snow all the time. But uh, uh, we drove to Canada for for the holidays and um, and we decided as we were watching this weather forecast forecast of the bomb cyclone that mm. was uh, to, to hit the northeast, um, it was really forecasted to hit during our drive so we kind of rushed and drove almost all the way there mm -hmm. got there before the weather started um and uh well i mean drove almost all the way there in one in one shot i uh, got there before the weather started and then spent like it was like five and a half inches of snow came down but then there was 70 mile an hour winds and it was all white out conditions so we didn't go anywhere Oof. for three like and that it was very yeah. it's very cold and windy <clears throat> um <clears throat> and so we watched like a bunch of i've watched a lot of sports and i watched a bunch of movies um and the the day that the glass onion came out was was one the you know day two of us being snowed in yep, so yep. uh i got a, the, i i did something that i really enjoy that that um i i guess i just don't do enough of which is we we woke up and ate breakfast and then we watched a movie like like it was i don't know like i feel like movies are night things and mm -hmm. and it was 10 30 in the morning and i'm like this movie came out today i want to watch it and so so we did and then uh later that night i um i convinced my uh my in-laws that they should watch the first one because they had never seen it and and they enjoyed it so cool yeah um so okay now i got uh, there's a lot of like food safety things going on we haven't talked in a while yes we haven't um, we have not indeed so I put well, some we, stuff. we 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 talk all the time. We talk all um, the time, and we talk on our other show all the time. But we have not done this show in a while. So yeah, yeah. I want to start. I'm going. I'm going a little bit off the board, Don. 
Um, because you know, you we like to off meet. the board. Off That's the board. That's so weird. Because you're you're usually a totally on the board by the board. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on the player, charcuterie board. You know, <laughs> I'm on the carcucci board. Carcucci board. Uh, yeah. Uh, Don, what now? I just want to ask you. Um, I'm not a, a huge uh, a, a buyer of used books, mainly, oh. mainly because all all of my books are on my on my iPad or on my Kindle. Like I, I'm a I'm a huge buyer of uh, and or well, I'm a huge borrower from the library of uh, electronic books. Uh, but I used to buy a lot of used books. Would you like to know? From from a, a, a microbiological standpoint, why you should always put a used book in the freezer before reading it? Um, I can guess what the answer is. Please do, um, please do. And, and but first, let me say, like I, huh, my my uh, attention span has been relatively destroyed for books, and mm. so I I have some books. Uh, I've gotten rid of a lot of my books. I'm keeping the you know books that I want to probably reread at some point. My wife is a huge. Uh, reader of books and a big fan of used books. And again, we for the holidays, we visited um, Ithaca, uh, New York, um, my hometown. Um, and uh, there is a used bookstore that my wife very often likes to visit. I don't know if we I don't think we made it this time. But uh, yeah, and she will buy books from the used bookstore and she will read them and she will take them back and she will give these books back to the bookstore. They, she'll say, look, I don't want any money. Just take these books back and sell them again. Um, so yeah, so big all in on um, uh, all in on um, used books. But I suspect that the reason why you want to freeze your books, your used books, is to destroy um, microscopic organisms, not bacteria. But I would suspect that it probably, much like freezing of fit to bring back to food safety, Ben, uh, much like freezing of fish to destroy parasites and sushi i suspect that you freeze books to destroy book mites uh and other perhaps microscopic insects um so they don't infest your other books yeah yeah yes um yes and yes and uh mildew or moldy books oh mold oh, i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure freezing does not kill mold ben yeah no i'm pretty sure too don there I, we're going to link to this article because I think it's okay. pretty fascinating. Uh, it's from Well and Good, which is it's on my hit list of like not phenomenally science based publications. Aha, uh -huh, yes. Uh, a lot of a lot of listicles, a lot of um, lot, lot of uh, um, you know click clickbaity type things. Um, mm -hmm. And so I I also uh, during the holidays spent a lot of time on Apple News. I probably too much too much time. Uh, I let you know. I I enjoy sitting on my iPad and scrolling through through Apple News and seeing what's there. And I got all these like searches for stuff. And this one just came up, and because probably the algorithm said these are this is something that you would like because it mentions microbiology, which is true. So the mm. article is uh, why you should always put a used book in the freezer before reading it. Don, that had that headline grabbed me right away. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not so one of the things that I, I wouldn't say that I've learned from doing this podcast, 
but it's something uh-huh. that is reinforced in our discussions over and over again, which I, I think is a, a just a common uh, one of our one of our common, you know, it's complicated, it depends, and there's mm-hmm. you know bacteria everywhere. There are microbes everywhere. But I'm I can't see really worrying about book book mites i guess maybe mm-hmm. i'm missing something um or i'm not worried about like getting covid from a book no uh, i i would not um do almost anything in this in this list of things that they say to do and i'm going to read you some of the things that are suggested wipe down wipe down the whole book cover to cover <laughs> being careful when you clean the book's pages if there are stubborn smudges and stains on the cover of the book wet a paper towel um okay so i mean maybe if you're worried about how it looks but there's an entire section in this article about how to disinfect used books like don that's i i don't i don't know i'm i'm gonna be on a soapbox here for a little bit to me that's as useful as like how to disinfect a used car like (laughs) (laughs) like, or or disinfecting your mail disinfect your mail right right spray down your takeout spray down your takeout so there, so good. The good news about this, it's like, it's almost like AI is writing these uh, mm. th- these articles, right? Like, there's a, a section in here that's that I think is useful that that highlights there's a difference between just dis- cleaning and disinfecting. Okay, good. That's good information. There's a difference between cleaning and disinfecting books. True, but but I, I don't know. Neither of them really matter, I guess. Um, so, uh, you know, there, there, there are some quotes from folks who we've certainly, um, heard about and talked about, um, in the past, um, uh, you know, Jason Testro, microbiologist and author of the germ files say that says, quote, you can probably get away with using disinfectant, like 70% rubbing alcohol. If you wanted to disinfect your old book, I I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Well, and mostly this, this does seem to be a website to get you to buy cleaning supplies. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's lots of things you can click on to buy on this page. It might be written by an AI. Um, I have been very, I've been all in on the AI. I've been, we've been using Dolly. Uh, I've been using Dolly to create uh, a lot of the images, the show art for our other podcast, Risky or Not. I've been playing around with Chat GPD, uh, which is a chat AI that you can give it very yeah. specific directions. Um, and I, you know, Ben, like hopefully, hopefully people that we know on the board of IAFP won't be listening to this, mm-hmm. but I kind of want to use chat GPD to write an abstract <gasps> for IAFP and submit it. Do it, do it, please do it. <laughs> please. Okay. Will you co-author? <laughs> yes, I will co-author. Let's do this. Yes. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. So I, I made some very disturbing, um, uh, I got to find my, my Dolly account. I've made some very mm. disturbing pictures oh. of you, of you, uh, of me, Dr. Don, Dr. Don <laughs> Schaffner washing his hands is, oh, is God. Some, oh my gosh, Don. It's so, sometimes it's so creepy. Like, like how, how Dolly forms like hands and arms. Oh yeah. Yeah. I yeah. also made some, some, uh, some pictures of, uh, professor Ben Chapman, 
um, using a meat thermometer, which <laughs> I gotta send these to. You. I gotta log into my account first of all. Okay, that's fine. Well, we, we'll 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 find this. We'll find this later for for uh, yeah for show notes. So yeah. yeah, because like the one that was really disturbing was like a raw meat. Like it looked like a turkey, but not really like a blob of meat mm. that had a couple mm. things that had all these like blood spatters all over it. And yeah. me yeah. sticking like a very sharp thermometer into it, which was not me at all. But, like there was my, my face was yeah. not there, but it was, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and famously Dali does not allow you to use images of famous people or known people in any of the, your art. Now there are other programs. Um, yeah. There's one that Merlin has been using to make a lot of Mike Pence uh stuff uh, right right uh, uh but which which is on which runs on your on your computer and you have to set it up and i i just i just i got into the beta on dolly and i just i just i, I played around try to get it to you know draw pictures of orange man bad um and it really wasn't very helpful <laughs> so um but uh yeah so but oh just to cl cl close the thread on this used book i would what i would do and i guess one of the first people that they do interview here is a librarian right or yes, a, a manager yes. of a bookshop but i would i would definitely talk to a librarian who understands books you know and get the ad expert of of somebody like that um in terms of what you need to do because we did we did talk about uh like uh, so my son is married to a librarian and um, we have a historic uh, family Bible, which I, the logical thing is to give it to him since he's married to a librarian and she knows how to take care of books. Perfect. Um, good, and good. so, um, yeah. And so that uh, and I would trust whatever she would say to do right more than I would trust this particular article, which is mostly, like I said, just trying to sell me, get me to click on links to buy cleaning supplies. So, yeah. <sighs> yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and also like the you know i don't know let me let me read another part here um from it that includes mm -hmm. like don't forget to protect yourself in any case you might want to wear an n95 mask gloves and protective goggles during the removal process um i i don't know sure because that's three more things you can buy from the website by right because you can link. click them and, you can see them right yeah. there i see goggles yeah. i see yep. I, I see yep. n95 wow right so, yeah, this this whole thing is a scam, I think. So. I'm not, yeah. Um, so, but you know what's like, it pops up in Apple News all the time. Like it's a, well, it's, it's, a it's a beautifully designed website. It looks of, gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Lots of white space, nice fonts. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. All right. So now I'm ready to move into the world of, of, of other real food safety things. If you are. Sure. Let's do it. Um, so, uh, there, there, you remember pink sauce, right? Who could forget? Oh, who could forget? Do you, do you know about pickle me everything? <laughs> um, is that the Portlandia sketch? Uh, you can pickle that. It's not, but it's close. <laughs> so, so pickle me everything is a TikTok creator from California who uh, I, I there there are some old videos, but the original is out there. It's been it's been um, deleted. Uh, but it's um, it's an individual who lives in Los Angeles County who's making pickles and selling them uh, out of out of uh, out of the, out of her home. And I so so it raised it was really interesting to see this conversation last week as well because all the stuff that happened with uh, pink sauce where um oh yeah it, it happened quicker this time 
Hmm. And mm-hmm. One, someone who I, I don't know if you've ever met or interacted with um, with Food Science Babe, um, but someone who I talked yes. to a whole bunch uh, back in COVID, uh, not back when we had COVID because we still all have have the COVID around. Um, but back at the, you know, in the, in the food safety, can you get food or can you get COVID from food time? Um, uh, the, the food, food science babe, um, had me on Instagram and Facebook, uh, a couple of times to, to chat. Um, anyway, um, food science babe weighed in and, and kind of like created, uh, not created a storm, but basically said, Hey, this, uh, seems like it might not be the safest thing so people should think about that and then pickle me everything within like two days pulled down everything and put out these videos <gasps> basically like apologizing um and yeah so it was what was like Whoa. this is something that we you know obviously you and i've talked about a lot and and i've got another example of like cottage foods and and you know people making foods in their home that i want to talk talk about here in a second that was here in north carolina but what was different about this the backlash that happened was like re- like very fast and very negative towards uh, pickle me everything so much I, I i encourage you to watch the video not right now it's about 3 minutes long but she's like i you know quote in this article from nbc news that we'll link to i want to apologize to everyone i'm so sorry for all of this it just happened so fast and what she meant by that the context of what happened so fast was she was getting hundreds and hundreds of criticism comments on her TikTok videos and she had to block people and it was really like i think it was really nasty mm-hmm. so she's refunding everybody's orders she's Whoa. like rented a commercial kitchen going through the licenses permits whatever's needed what's really really interesting about this is i don't think and again what we'll, we've got a I, our friend um the almond queen um uh linda harris i has been you know talking with us on our text chat over the last couple of years about like cottage foods and making foods at home in california because i think california cottage food rules are very loose like i think you can make stuff and sell from your home as long as you just sell it directly from your home and i i'm not i'm not sure that this that that pickle me everything was actually breaking any laws like I think what she was doing was allowed, but the backlash was about like what you're doing is unsafe, which is very that's new, right? Like to me, that's a different mm-hmm. that's that's something that we only saw as a like as I think as a result of pink sauce. It's just like right, like right. very. I don't know. It's fascinating that that things have moved so so quickly in these in these two examples. Well, and I and I think I think honestly, it's kind of an example of cancel culture, right? Which is what we do now, yeah. right? Like, think about Bean Dad, right? Like, here's a person that we know who's telling a funny story on the internet, and uh, goes horribly wrong, and Child Protective Services goes to his house to interview him and his kid, right? Um, so it, you know, I mean, yeah, it's that, yeah, somebody was talking about this on a on a podcast um recently about like you know like everything like the the idea that we could have a website that would connect everyone to everyone and allow them to instantaneously comment on 
other things. Doesn't that sound like a really good thing? Well, no, it turns out it's a really bad thing because it leads to things like, uh, you know, which pickle me. I mean, again, and nothing. I mean, it's great that people care about food safety, but I think at some point it's not about food safety and it's just about dunking on whoever the main character is on Twitter that day. Right. And, and shaming them and like, just, you know, I mean, so I've, yeah, I mean, people shouldn't do unsafe things. And if you do unsafe things, you should be criticized, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, you get what I'm saying, right? Yeah, 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 no, absolutely. Um, and, and I think so a couple of things, I'm going to correct something I said, because food, mm. food science babe actually does talk about this and, and links to it. Um, you, the cottage laws in, in Los Angeles or, or in California are, are very loose, but it does not allow certain foods like canned products. And this was a pickled canned thing. Oh, so, okay. So, okay. so which is like, and these were pickled products. Um, she talks about minor leaking, hand sealed, not pressure sealed, not pressure cooked, nothing involved. And in fact, like this is where, you know, if I think about the um, hot fill inversion process that does happen in commercial canning, yep, um, I, that well, it would or not improperly be, yeah. improperly pickled home foods right. too, right? right? Yeah, right. but I think I think our friends at the National Center for Home Food Preservation would say you need a hot water bath, everything, right? Like, but we do have commercial. Mm. Um, commercial pickle makers who will hot fill invert uh, ba- basically hot filling it you know above 165 degrees or you know whatever based on what their recipe is and then turning it mm-hmm. turning that that jar upside down to um, essentially uh, kill any of the vegetative cells that are might be on the on the lid um, or the mouth of the the jar there is a process not a process but a, like there's a there there are operating procedures that 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 people commercially are allowed to do the the issue here and and I think that it's a right like it's the right thing to call out is that that's a commercial approach this is someone who's making things in their home and may not have the you know the ability to do it or monitor that or do it in in a in a safe way without having some sort of oversight but that like here's the thing right like for for me that type of process is well pickled can acidified canned foods are allowed in my state to be made in a home um and and so like and and they're they're allowed i i'll share we'll share another article um in in notes uh that um that came up also around the holidays about the north carol the headline's great this is from the carolina journal and there's a lot of like um, this this was published today. Um, there there was a lot, or sorry, it was not published today. It was published uh, right before Christmas. Um, North Carolina cookie cops stifle holiday cheer. Great headline, right? Good headline, yes. Um, shoppers come into corner farmers market in Greensboro for the experience as much as the food. Immigrants from Sudan, Pakistan, France, and other part of the world gather with local growers in the parking lot at St. Andrews Episcopal Church to sell fresh produce and homemade dishes. Some vendors bring in more than food. A tamale seller recently came in with her daughter. Um, uh, the variety is really a draw. Guilford County Health Department disagrees. When inspectors showed up in August, they did not see a friendly gathering of neighbors. They saw lawbreakers. You can tell that there's a, do- a tone to this Oof, article. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a code enforcement crackdown ensued, depriving the market of many longtime vendors as the holidays approached. Um, unlike most other states, and here's where things aren't like, it's not quite right. So the uh, the authors write, 
uh, journalists write, unlike most other states, North Carolina does not have laws authorizing, quote, cottage food businesses which sell homemade food. The, the next sentence is, the North Carolina Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services fills the void with guidelines allowing cottage food sales under certain conditions. So, Don, do we not allow it or do we allow it? Because those two well, sentences say that we well, don't, I, but we well, do. I, I, I think one says there's no laws, but the next one says there is guidance. Yeah, and, and it's that, not Am actually, I parsing that, that correctly? Yeah. Yeah, but there is a law. Like they do say, oh, like yeah, okay. they're authorized. So, like, okay, so it's not called cottage food because it's not a term oh. that was used when the law came ah, out. Ah, got it, got so it. So that okay. right. So and it's under certain. So conditions. it's yeah. yeah, it's sloppy writing. It is. is what you're saying. Yeah, and it's like certain things we can do, like we can we can sell shelf stable foods. Right. Can't sell refrigerated baked goods, can't sell meat, can sell acidified pickled foods in North Carolina that are made at home. So like now the issue with pickle me everything is in my state, you could sell you could make what pickle me everything is making at home if you have an inspection in your home and that the state looks at your mm -hmm. recipe first and and that's mm -hmm. it. Right. Like you got like it. Right. So, so, and I'm, you know, I've talked on, on this podcast and lots of places where I'm, I'm a big fan of what we're allowed to do in our, in our homes, um, in, in my state. Uh, <laughs> and, and also I'm a fan of how we handle cottage foods. Uh, but, but, you know, like I, I think what we, and we're, we, the law to allow this has been around for a long time, like decades. So, but, but I, I, I just well, maybe in your state, in my state, in my state, it is. Yeah. In my state down still, under. still new here in New Jersey. Yeah. 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 In a loud, and I think we're thinking of a land down under. Um, but so, you know, here, th there are some issues um, with it, but, but I, I, you know, like, so, you know, I'll just read from this article. Many cottage food producers cannot work at home no matter what steps they take. Anyone with pets, which is about 70% of U.S. households, must rent space in a shared commercial kitchen. It's not entirely true. You mm. like, And now, here's the thing. And this is not something that it would be very easy for everybody to do. Or you can build a spot that is outside of your home that the pets don't go in, that is separate. It can't be part of your home. Right. So, so there are certainly food businesses that operate in North Carolina that are run out of sheds that are run that, that are made to be more like still a home-based business, not a food processing um, facility, but it's not, I don't know. It, it was not as soon as like, it, it, I don't know. I, I, I didn't like, I, I didn't appreciate the tone of this. Well, um, and, 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 you know, let's just talk, let's just sort of, before we completely leave this topic, let's just parse that for a minute. Is it safer to have a shed where you're doing this, where you're guaranteed that there's no pets, or is it safer to do it in your kitchen where you just try to keep the pets out of the kitchen, right? right. Because yeah. depending on what you mean by shed, yep. um, I've got to imagine I have a shed on my property, Ben, but you don't want me cooking in that shed. Yeah, it's not. It's not a very nice place for cooking stuff, right? I you would much rather eat food I prepared in my kitchen versus my shed. Right, right, and and I'm like I I, I think here's my uh, you know high school improv uh, aspect. I'll I'll give you a yes yes and. Um, <laughs> I think both, right? Like, I don't, I don't think the where it is matters. I think you can make safe food in both of those spots. 
if you, yeah, right? right. Like that, that's yeah, a, about what you do. Yeah. 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 And, and so it's, yeah, I don't know. Um, really like the, the, we, we still, so here's, here's the, here's the issue. We, we have a need for home-based businesses and cottage food businesses, but, and there's a way to do it safely. I don't think that there's a lot of really good resources that are out there, both like official and like extension based groups that are able to help mm-hmm. these, these businesses. And it's, it's because it's a niche area of, of the world of, of food safety. And I think we need to do a better job explaining this. I think we need to do a better job working with these vendors in, in our world and working with, with regulators, but somewhere in this, we've got to come up with like, I guess exactly where you're, where you're going, that there's not a, it, it needs to be, it, it, we need to be thinking about risk-based, not is it in this specific facility and does a pet matter kind of right. kind of situation. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah. And just for, for the record, I'm just looking at the New Jersey cottage food rules, which are brand new. We were the last state to legalize cottage foods. There's no mention of pets. Mm. So um, I don't think that there, the, the, the rule is silent on that. Right. So, yeah. um, but it does say that the health authority can come in and, you know, if they came in and they saw, you know, um, uh, unsafe situations because of pets, not that all pets are unsafe, right. But unsafe situation because of that, like cats are pooping on the countertop. Right. Uh, then I think they would shut you down. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I think that <clears throat> the, that I think our law exists that way because of a view of pets, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that that's not something we want in a food processing plant. <laughs> right. Like, sure. Yeah. Sure. And, and, but, but again, I think that it's not, yeah, it's not like always about the, the risks. I do like, you know, I, I, I continue to be a proponent of if you want to make some stuff in your home, there, there are paths to do it, but it's a, it's probably a good idea to have someone come in and take a look at it, <laughs> right? Like I like that our law for food processing in a home is like let's just have a regulator walk in here one one day and see if they think that you can do this safely. Um, now we can update the checklist and the laws, but yeah, it's I, I like it. I like the way that we do it, even though we get a according to um, somewhere. Let me see the. Uh, uh, certain condition. What is it? I, the Institute for Justice of the state of North Carolina gets a C plus grade for homemade food laws. Hmm. Yeah. We get a food varieties grade of a C minus a regulatory burdens grade of a D plus and a sales and venue restrictions grade of an A. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I think it's not bad. Well, what if you, what if you had an, what was the, what was the, the, I'm trying to find the episode. Um, what was the, the, the purse, the thing that they had in the food processing plant? What we asked the question, what, what if it's an emotional support? Oh, the beard, beard, bearded dragon. Bearded emotional dragon. Support. Yeah. Bearded dragon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What if it was one of those? I, I just sent that. Um, I, I'll send you, I had, um, let me find that because I just sent that to somebody who's doing I'm not not so service like, dragon. What if it's a service dragon? What's it? Yeah. What's an emotional ser- service dragon? <laughs> um, the, I I we will relink to that story. It's because yep. you and I know what we're talking about. But in 2015, yep. there was a warning letter sent to um, <laughs> Gold State Nut LLC. 
um, because the uh, uh, president of that that company was observed handling a bearded dragon in his office <laughs> and then touching shelled walnuts after afterward without washing his hands. Um, and quote, um, during an interview in your office located within the packing facility, our investigators observed you holding a bearded dragon reptile and peeling off its skin with its, with your bare hands. Um, there was another great quote. Reptiles are known reservoirs for salmonella. (laughs) Yes. So, uh, yeah. Uh, don't, don't, uh, don't take your bearded dragon into your food processing facility. Maybe this is one that you might not want that pet in your pickles. Yes. Uh, um, so send me send me that that link to the story you were talking about. And then just, just to close. Yep. OK, thanks. To close the loop on um, inversion, you know, the National Center for Home Food Preservation website. I tried to find something on inversion and we'll link to uh, a, a, a PDF that they have on uh, processing jams and jellies where they talk a little bit about inversion. They don't say don't do it. They just say this inversion process can be successful. It works best with a very hot product should only be used for certain recipes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, so they're not really in favor of it, but they will allow it. They would say it's okay under limited circumstances. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're, you know, I, I think um, as we talked to Elizabeth Andres over the years, the, the now, now retired former um, director, uh, president, leader, uh, I can't remember. Director, director, director I yeah, think. Of the uh, Home Food, um, uh, National Center for Home Food Pres- Preservation, and now um, Carla Schwan, who uh, has mm-hmm. uh, assumed, assumed that role. Um, I think they're they're pretty conservative and really want people to, for both quality and safety reasons, to use um, boiling water bath uh, um, processing for uh, high acid and acidified because they're you know I've been talking with Elizabeth about about this a long time ago. She's like, yeah, but mold, right? Like, well, I'm worried mm-hmm. about people not not getting sick from it, but they're spending all this time um, making these pickles, and and maybe maybe they, they they're also you know there could be some mold spores, so so they should do the boiling water bath. And I agree with that, but um, commercially, it's not something that that's uh, required in in lots of cases depending on the food and recipe. Um, okay. So I got something else for you. Okay. Oh, and I did, I did a bunch of like preparation. This is one of the ones I, that I prepared. Well, for. I, I also did some preparation. If by preparation, you mean put stuff in the folder, so. put stuff in the folder, but also read it. I read- <laughs> oh, I, you know, I, let's read is a, let's say, skimmed it let's say uh yeah let's say skimmed it <laughs> i i even wrote down in a in a drafts file mm. fst topics wow <laughs> yes wow um okay so next fst topic is um a lawsuit that i think is really interesting mm-hmm. um that uh is are, are you are you familiar with the uh with the duncan brands you know uh, oh so familiar Yes. You know, time to make the donuts. Is that still yep. the is that still the thing that they, they say? Yeah, uh, I don't know. Is this from is this from Glastonbury, Connecticut? It is from Glastonbury, Connecticut, Don. Oh man. I I live I I lived the first three years of my life in Glastonbury, Connecticut. No, what, what, what <laughs> is this where is this did did your parents run a Dunkin' Donuts um, they did, franchise? They, 
They did not. My grandfather uh, was the Joy in Brickman Joy, which was a galvanizing plant uh, in Glastonbury, Connecticut. Um, yeah. So yeah, Were you and born that's in, where in my the state of Connecticut was. That... I, I was. I was. I was born in Hartford Hospital. Wow, I didn't know that. Look at this. Yeah. this is, well, this is great. Um, so uh, Glastonbury, Connecticut. Uh, there was uh, the CT Insider is covering a lawsuit about mm -hmm. Dunkin' Donuts, and I read this uh, headline and I thought, oh. What's happening? Are people getting sick? And and no, people have. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. it's a donut shop, Ben. It's a donut shop. Well, but Don, I don't <clears throat> like I, I. So Dunkin Donuts is a place that I will go to prior to early morning hockey games, usually games now it used to be practices because my kids want high sugar carbs at 5 a.m. Hmm. before we play hockey. Okay. Um, and so they, uh, so we go to uh, to Dunkin' Donuts. They get some food. Um, well, they get some sugar. <laughs> they get some sugar, but I'll get like a breakfast sandwich. Um, yeah, and they got the, they got they got some real food there. Uh, so uh, the Dunkin' Brands people, I don't even know if that's what they're called. Let me see who it is. Dunkin' Dunkin' Brands. Yeah, they are suing the franchisee because. <gasps> Ooh. Because the franchisee is not doing things that they're supposed to be doing. Supposed to do, yeah. From a food safety standpoint, yeah. in their internal visits and yep. um, so, but in court, so so they're fight the franchise is fighting it. I would feel like this is I don't know, like I'd feel bad. I feel like I'm get you know I've got a divorce, right? Like you're kicking me out of the brand, but I really want to stay in the in the brand. I like I it, it doesn't seem real clean. Maybe it's because you want a settlement for being kicked out, right? Like I, mm -hmm. I don't know what the motivation would be. Like if 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 Duncan doesn't want you to be part of them, maybe I don't know. But um, but I don't run a franchise and I don't understand the dynamics. Um right. Well, but, and I honestly I think <clears throat> my not and I don't either, but let me offer my perspective. I think <clears throat> the Duncan brand is vulnerable. I mean, they have oh. a good, I think they have a good brand reputation, right? You go walk into a lot of stores. It looks clean. The donuts are nicely displayed. You know, again, there's a wonderful picture here in this story, right? Like it's the, they smell a certain way you, you want for that. You want that brand experience, you know, to, to be consistent, right? You want people to say, oh, I know if I go into Dunkin' Donuts, the people will be friendly. The coffee will be hot. The donuts will be sweet you know uh brent ben can get a breakfast sandwich right you you go yeah, there yeah. for reliability and and yeah and this is like this is this is not a great health department this is not a great uh uh score right there's there's some issues with this and yeah and so the 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 corporate folks want to protect the brand because you know if if a lot of or even one well-publicized Dunkin' Donuts store is disgusting, then people think, oh, that's the store that's disgusting, right? That's the that's the brand that's disgusting. I'm always hearing about them on the news, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I totally, so I get that context of um, Dunkin' not wanting this franchisee, right? Like, and and right. they had, they, they have their <laughs> internal, so the, again, like a little bit of inside baseball about how things work in the world of food safety. And we've talked about this on this podcast, but most, um, national chains or even regional chains have their own internal um, inspections. They also may hire a service provider to go do yep. like yep. food safety inspections yep. as well as what happens with the health department, right? So, right, which, right. 
Well, right, like, and in fact, all the all the big chains get inspected way more by their own people than yeah. the health department, right? And so the the big chains that are protecting their their brand, um, you know, they go above and beyond because they need to protect their brand, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 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 I'm super. We're, I think we're both super supportive of that, right? Like the, sure. the law is the minimum bar. If you want to do more things above food safety, mm-hmm. that's great. That's good. That's like, yeah. that's where I want it. Where I want it to be. So, so what what was really interesting if in in this lawsuit to me is that um, the the this Dunkin' Donuts franchise has done fairly well with their town inspections. So right. they've passed those, a score of 90, um, a score of 88, 89. I mean, and again, context and local context matters. It's a pass, they're open, they're able to operate. Here, 90s and 88s and 89s are pretty low. Like we're, most of our, like, you know, we, we, we take less um, points off for big infractions. So, it, so like mm-hmm. a 97, is pretty good. But when you get into 94 in the state of North Carolina, it's like, well, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Well, um, and, and I'd want to know, uh, okay, so what what do other donut shops that are maybe not part of the Dunkin' brand get mm. on their inspection scores? Are there other Dunkin' Donuts in Glastonbury or part of that same health department area? What what kind of scores do they get, right? Because yeah, a 90 and 88 and 89, that's like an A and a, and a B plus, you know, on a, on a letter grade scale. But- if everybody else is making 97s and above, this is a store that's really deficient, right? Yeah. So yeah. it all it all depends on what the what you're comparing it to. Right, right, right. Well, and so the the argument that the franchise the franchisees made is said, look, we're the we're passing our health department, you know, that we should be able to open or operate um, just because we're not passing our internal Dunkin' Donuts stuff because uh, they're you know they're and it's different, right? Like what Dunkin' Donuts is looking for again, it's above and beyond. They're talking about things um, in here about like their food safety systems and food safety plans. One of the things that they showed here um, that I thought was was kind of cool was they have a monthly food safety self-inspection for August and September. Those weren't completed. So they, they, you know, that's not a requirement of the food code. That's above and beyond. That wouldn't show up on the health department report at all. But it's something that that Duncan is is requiring of their um, their franchisees. And so, so essentially they're trying to kick these folks off the island and say, you can't be a franchisee for us anymore because you're not doing a good job. What I thought was really interesting is that the like health department got kind of dragged into this, right? So Glastonbury mm-hmm, mm-hmm. health director of Wendy Miss could not comment about why the ta- town's findings differed from the outcomes of Dunkin' Donuts company inspections. Um, she said food service inspections are a snapshot shot in time. Some places yep. have good days and bad days. There's a whole bunch of things that go into what happened at a food service establishment great quote but like hey not my problem kind of thing right, right like this is between right. the franchise um the franchisee and the and and dunkin donuts but i well, can't and- yeah, and, and you know the other thing too, Ben. Like I, you, you know what it, what we, what when you, when you, when, when someone claims, hey, we meet government standards, right? Yeah. You know what we call that in food safety, right? Right, right. We, we, we. I don't know. What do we call it? We, call, we, we, from the, from your famous blog. Oh, we, we call that the Pinto defense. The Pinto ben. defense. Yes, I forgot. I forgot. Yes. The how Pinto soon defense. they forget? How soon? How soon? Yes. Um. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, but I, so I'm sure this kind of stuff happens all the time. It's the first time I remember reading about a lawsuit in local media about this. Like, I thought this was kind of notable from a food safety standpoint, right? Like this, this is, it made it to the, you know, it, it made it to the, to the local rag, 
which I was uh, yeah. was kind of kind of interesting uh, to me. So yeah, yeah, but yeah, good good for like I mean, truthfully, good for Duncan. I, uh, on if you're concerned about your franchisees um, taking the steps like this and and not worrying about like the fallout um, that you might get from uh, you know the the public conversation about it. So it's good. Yeah, and good and good for Wendy Miss for answering the question. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, right, right, right. Well done, saying, well saying, done Wendy. Hey, I'm, I'm just out here catching strays, as they said. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, not part of this. Um, okay. So uh, next, next one. I want to give yes. a shout out to to our friend Randy Warbo. Um, but I want to, but I have a question for Randy, and he's not here to answer it. <laughs> so <laughs> Don, Don, according to Martha Stewart, but not actually Martha Stewart, but Kirsten Nunez on MarthaStewart.com. Um, how, how to, this is not a question, how to keep bag salad fresh for as long as possible, according to food scientists. Um, are you, are you familiar with this? How would you, before looking at this article, if I, if I can, uh, mm -hmm. keep you mm -hmm. from doing that, what, what, what would you say? What would you talk about if someone said, um, you know, Hey, how long can I keep my salad leaves cut leafy greens or, or head of lettuce or whatever in my, in my, uh, in my fridge? How well, do, what's I, the best I way loaded I loaded I loaded the page, but I've I've switched back to uh, a barf blog post from uh, January 2012 uh, with a picture of a uh, Pinto that says, keep off my rear. I'm explosive, <laughs> which is probably Perfect. one of the best pictures ever. So that's what I'm going to look at as I answer yeah, your yeah. question. So yeah. I'm going to try to try to channel my inner, inner uh, Randy Warabo here. So um, for me, and this is my bias, this is not Randy's bias for me. Well, so first of all, let's start with um, food from safe sources, right? Let's let's start with um, um, making sure that, and that you can't do this as a consumer, but it is really the best, or it's not the best solution. It's really the only solution. You have to make sure that those those lettuce leaves are harvested from fields that are not contaminated with pathogens, right? So now that's a little bit silly uh, because the consumer has no knowledge of that. They just have to trust the the the, the brand, right? Um, I would say um, the next thing, the th well, the things that are under the control of the individual consumer, right? byproduct that's within date. If you go to the store and it's it's towards the end of its shelf life, don't buy it, right? If you go to the store and it the quality doesn't look good, don't buy it because that could be an indication of potential issues that might also be correlated with food safety problems. Um and then after that, it's like it's like the three most important things in real estate, uh Ben, that would be temperature, temperature, temperature. <laughs> um, I thought you meant, I thought you were going to say uh, <laughs> uh location in the fridge, location in the fridge, location in the fridge. <laughs> yeah, could be, could be, could be that too. Um so yeah, so I'm going to say, you know, a lot of things that are not under the control of the consumer, but you know, buy, buy stuff that's in date and keep it cold. Yeah, that's that's so, my answer. So good, and and Randy did I like not not that we're here to uh, to evaluate Randy's uh, uh, quotes or anything, but I love I love. When no, I that see comes my, later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I love when I see my friends in the in the print, and uh, and this is good. Yeah, and, and so um, a couple a couple of things. One thing that I had not ever thought about that Randy suggested was um, putting a like paper towel into the bag. Um, let me mm. let me find this after opening um, the bag of salad, salad leaves. You want to continue minimizing condensation in the container. To mm -hmm. do this, place a clean paper towel inside the bag and seal it with a chip clip. That's a great idea, right? Like it reduces some of the mm. humidity and soaks up some of that that condensation. 
Um, it, I think it, it, it certainly, and Randy goes on to make the case that that will um, reduce the the some of the spoilage uh that that happens because you know in a bag leafy green situation where where we purchase this product these products um quite often we go through it fairly quickly but every once in a while you get that like kind of slimy um you know spoiled leaf at the bottom of the bag um and and so i thought that was i thought that was good um you know a good a good suggestion just to soak up that extra condensation but the, yeah, the, well, so and just sorry, before we leave that, I, we recently bought some arugula and what I did in that case, because it was it wasn't there weren't any like gross leaves or if there if there were, I picked them out. But there was just a, a you know, when you especially with arugula, for whatever reason, I find there's a, kind of a variability. It j- tends to be among the more dry foods, mm-hmm. the dry leafy greens that we get. Um, and, but this batch was a little bit more moist than I would have preferred. And so what I did was after I opened it and I took out the first couple of servings, I put it back in the fridge, but I didn't seal the lid. So I just basically Ah. used the low humidity of the refrigerator to pull out some of that moisture. Um, but, but I think Randy's technique of using a paper towel would also, uh, would also work. Um, although then now you've got this moist paper towel that you need to do something with but, right yeah, yeah yeah but 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 it's a strategy right it's it's yeah. a strategy that people can use for sure yeah no I, I liked it so one thing that that is in here um it says you you don't always need to toss greens by the best buy date okay most bags or boxes this is fra- straight from martha Mar- martha herself uh, mm-hmm. most, most bags or boxes of salad leaves have a best buy date. However, it's important to note that this date is different from an expiration date. According to Havern, and Havern is um, uh, Gaida Batarse uh, Havern, who is a food safety extension educator at Michigan State. Um, the uh, best buy date is an indicator of quality, not food safety or science. In contrast, expiration dates refer to food safety as they tell you the last day that this food is safe to eat. Therefore, if the best buy date is passed, you might still be able to eat the greens, but they might not have the same quality taste and freshness before, um, says Havern. If the leaves still look firm and there's no visible deterioration of the leaf tissue, you can still leave use them, Warbo says. And so here's where I'm like, again, I, yeah. You, I, no, that's wrong. I Expira- a, no, yeah. no. Expiration dates don't mean that. There's no consistency. Right. Um, and I agree with the statement. You don't always need to toss greens by the best by date. But you know what, Ben? Sometimes you might need to toss greens before the best by date if they look disgusting. Because see my earlier comment about temperature, right? And so if you if that product is temperature abused along the way, it's not going to it's it's yeah, I mean, Best Buy dates are the best we have, but, but no, it's, there's, what is it? What is it? Yeah. So, and again, this Martha Stewart. Um, yeah, well, so expiration date is, is a lit, they link to FDA on pharmaceutical quality resources, right? So we'll link to that page, but it's not about food. And then, uh, then in, in support of the in contrast expiration dates, refer to food safety links to another Martha Stewart article, which, you know, whatever, fine. But, but th- no, this, this is incorrect information about expiration dates. Uh, yeah. Agreed. I also think, and this is one that that this is an omission for me that that I'll, mm-hmm. I'll continue to harp on i think if you're gonna if you are at high risk for listeria um leafy greens bag leafy greens are are something that you need to handle in a different way 
because um, I think we we've seen with outbreak after outbreak the potential for and I've you know I've experienced it. We've talked about this on this podcast. I think you've experienced it. Um, I certainly think that the potential for my leafy greens to look still pretty good in my refrigerator after being in there for sometimes like up to two weeks after I purchased it, it's not out of the ordinary. Um, there might be a few leaves that look pretty slimy, but picking around those, I think people do that a lot. And I think that this omits that, right? Like, I think that, that I think it's totally fine to, to, if you're not worried about listeria to, to not like, to not worry about storage time. But I think that this product, we, we know that there've been outbreaks like to this. There was one earlier this year, um, April, uh, uh, 2020, uh, I guess it was last year now, cause now we're in 2023, but April, mm-hmm. 2022, um, we had, uh, a number of illnesses, 18 people sick from listeria, mm-hmm. um, from, uh, dole, uh, dole products that went back to, um, 2014. And th- these were bagged, uh, leafy green, um, you know, uh, issues. And so I'm, I'm worried about that. I think it's, well, I think I, it's omission, but, but I do I I don't think of listeria as being especially a problem in leafy greens, right? And in this particular, and it's the it's just very different for Salmonella and E. coli versus listeria. In this case, because there's one case that goes back to 2014, there's a bunch of cases in 2019 and then 2021 and 2022. This is not, I think, lettuce being harvested from a field. This is a a packaging plant, Agreed. a processing plant that has become contaminated with or colonized by listeria. And so I, but I, I'm much more concerned. I'm less concerned with leafy greens and listeria. And I'm more, much more concerned with things like cantaloupe uh, or, or watermelon or things like that, where, where we see, cause with, because those products look the same, even if they have massive levels of listeria, whereas I don't, we've never done anything with leafy greens and listeria in my lab to know what it looks like. But I, yeah, I'm, yeah, I mean, obviously leafy greens can have listeria and can give people listeriosis. We, I'm looking at the CDC webpage right now, but it's just not, it's much more likely just to be a recall because they found it. I'm, if I'm worried about listeria, it's not in my top list of foods that I'm worried about getting listeria from. Again, I I would be willing to be convinced by data which shows otherwise, but it's not, it's not something I'm super worried about, I guess. Yeah. And I guess like, I, it's not something that I'm super worried about, but I, you know, I, I, I think I, I, I talked to you a little bit about listeria concerns when, when Danny was pregnant with both our, our kids Mm -hmm. and the, the risk benefit aspect of it, right? Like if it's not to say, don't, don't eat lettuce or cut leafy greens. It's to, it's to highlight that this product, if stored in my refrigerator over a two week period, and I'm not really paying attention to, to it could be at higher risk for listeria than it was if I ate it within the first couple of days, right? With that, with that growth. Yeah. And I would say if I'm actively managing risk for a pregnant person and they want to eat leafy greens, I would buy head lettuce yeah. and I yeah. would uh, buy just enough for that day or, 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 you know, not very much time. And then, and then, and then get fresh the next day. Right. I think that's, yeah, I, I could get behind that. Right. Like, I mm-hmm. think that that's a, um, yeah, 
so I think that's an omission here. Right. Like mm. if we're thinking about how how to keep bag lettuce salad fresh for as long as possible, um, I think somewhere in this um, and again, this is not Randy's point, you know, Randy might have even talked about this area, but it just didn't make the article. But somewhere mm. in here that that's got to be nodded to that, that maybe maybe we need to think about this differently for specific groups who are at much higher risk. Um, for listeria, but I agree with you. It's not a it's not a growing issue. It's something with with you know packing uh, something in the environment, and it's not a it's not a high risk food for this. But it but it's it's possible. It's it can happen. So, and that's where I think that like pregnant individual um, you know trade off happens, right? It's like well, what's the what's the risk? What's the well? What's the the chance? May be very 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 low the um the consequence very high um so yeah yeah and i'm just i'm just looking at i'm just looking at the cdc advice for pregnant women and trying to see if it calls out any particular foods uh and it doesn't right and that's it just talks about practices it doesn't talk about foods to avoid i think oh wait here checklist of foods to avoid here we go um from foodsafety.gov Okay, so uh, cook seafood thoroughly. Be careful with smoked seafood. Don't drink unpasteurized juice or cider. Avoid raw milk, soft cheeses, raw milk products. Cook eggs thoroughly. Don't eat pre-made meat or seafood salad. Don't eat raw sprouts. Avoid undercooked meat and poultry. Reheat hot dogs and luncheon meats. Yeah, no, there's nothing, and I agree with this list. Like, I think this is a yeah. pretty good list for foodsafety.gov, but it doesn't mention leafy greens, right? It, it doesn't, yeah. <clears throat> and But I think that it's like, it, it's not about um, what are, are you looking at the food safety for baby and me? Is that the, the, the thing? That you're no, looking? I'm looking at uh, people that. at risk, pregnant women. So. Okay. So it's similar. Yeah. So raw seafood, unpasteurized juice, soft cheese, undercooked eggs, pre-made deli salads, raw sprouts, whole, cold hot dogs and luncheon, luncheon meats, undercooked meat. Um, okay. I'm yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're looking at a graphic. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Sim I think it's similar um, yep. stuff, but but I, I I think it's I like I I think we're we're missing some you know some stuff here right and the nuance is it's it's about not keeping food in your refrigerator for um for a really long time and and in fact right. that to me that's one of the things that that's omitted from this entire um you know and it's this is a little bit dated it comes from the Ad Council and I think that this is probably maybe eight or ten years old now. Um, mm -hmm. It, you know, even in the chill, it just says get leftovers in the fridge within two hours of being cooked. I'm not really worried about that. What I would want on this, if I was making this one now, I would say make sure your refrigerator is set, you know, below 41 degrees, and um, make sure that you know, radiate foods that are stored at four, at, you know, at 41, that you're 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 not eating them after seven days because of that listeria potential for listeria growth. Like I I think that's the you know that, yeah that that's what's to me what's missing it doesn't have to be leafy greens explicitly it's it's all those those foods well and and you know interestingly i was on a call yesterday with a food safety person whose whose name i won't mention because they're talking about a family member but they have a family member living with them who is undergoing treatment for cancer and they do eat fresh fruits um like melons and stuff but they get them they eat them that day and there's no leftovers right yeah so, right so again just managing that time temperature uh, situation. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. 
Um, TikTok. Oh, I, I saw another. Okay. I'm just like basically all the things I read over the last couple of weeks that I put into a file. That's, <laughs> I guess that's what we do here anyway. Um, but I'm going to send you another article that may or may not. I put it in the the file mm-hmm. so you, you could see it. Um, but there was a, an article in the Atlantic. Um, oh, no one can decide if grapefruit is dangerous. Yeah. Did you read this article? Did you? <laughs> no, did I didn't. I'm just seeing it now. It looks fascinating. It is. It's really fascinating. So, so there's, um, it, it, it's not, I mean, it's not about the traditional food safety stuff that you and yes. I talk about, but yes. it is a food safety issue. Essentially that there are phytochemicals in grapefruit that really interact with drugs that pe- yeah. prescription medicine that people are on. And so, um, there, you know, I, I, there's, you know, a preamble that talks about this, but the, the, the paragraph that I want to highlight is, is this, even the FDA, this is from the article, even the FDA seems a bit unsure of how it feels about the fruit. The agency has stamped the documentation of several grapefruit sensitive medications with official warnings, but fact sheets for other drugs merely mention that they can interact with grapefruit, say to consult a healthcare professional or just counsel people to avoid drinking the juice in quote, large amounts. Um, there are several interacting drugs that bear warnings in Canada, uh, Viagra, oxycodone, um, HIV drug, uh, edurant, blood pressure me- medication, uh, veripamil. Don't mention any issues without grapefruit in the U.S. So it's really anyway. Like I just thought this was an, like it, 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 the the article is well written. They, the 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 summary of it is. Um, we know that there are interactions. There's a bunch of studies that demonstrate this. Um, is it good? Is it bad? We're not sure. And, and there aren't a whole lot of official information on it, but the, you know, many, many healthcare uh, providers basically say, don't drink the juice. And I think that's really, I don't know. I think it's interesting. Um, Yeah. And I, I was aware of this issue. I don't know. Um, I don't know when, when I investigated it, but, but definitely. And the interesting thing about grapefruit juice is it basically just means that you absorb these drugs faster. Right. And so for any drug, there is a, um, like a dose response function, right. Or a time course, right. Like you, when you don't have the drug in your system, you have zero and then you take it usually orally. And then the level goes up over time, depending on like, the the chemicals and the the stomach and you know and your own, own physiology maybe if you if you eat it with food or without food and then if if you've recently had grapefruit then that that for whatever the effect the physiological effect of grapefruit is increase at permeability and so yeah it might cause the levels to spike up faster higher than it would otherwise and if you're calibrating if you're looking for a certain response um that can mess it up so yeah i mean <clears throat> I'm not sure that the headline is correct. No one can decide if grapefruit is dangerous. I would say grapefruit is something you should be aware of under certain circumstances if you're taking certain drugs, right? But yeah, you know, and it, that's and, that's all. Yeah, and right, talk right. to a talk talk to a doctor, right? And 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 even if you talk to a doctor, the doctor may might you know, know, I mean, yeah. might not know, right? So, yeah. so and again, it's a risk management decision about like what to do, but. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and there and there are there are some clinical trials, right? Or there are some you know studies of this, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's you know it's it's yeah, it's what whatever. I mean, it, it's an interesting article, and people should read it and think about it. But I'm certainly you know probably not going to change my grapefruit eating habits because of it. Yeah. Did you um? So 
I, I the the other thing from this article that I'll highlight is mm. it's about grapefruit's medication concentrating powers. That's what what they talk about. Mm, okay, that, that it makes the makes things more powerful. That interaction um, it over over does what what the medication is going to do. But grapefruit's medication concentrating powers were discovered only because of a culinary accident. Some three decades ago, the clinical pharmacologist David Bailey was running a trial testing the effects of alcohol consumption on a blood pressure medica- medication called philidipine. Hoping to mask the distinctive taste of booze for his volunteers, Bailey mixed it with grapefruit juice and was shocked to discover that blood levels of philidipine were suddenly skyrocketing in everyone, even those in the control group who were drinking virgin grapefruit juice. And that's how it was dis- you know, how, how it was. Uh, discovered it was um an like an enzyme uh called cytochrome p453a4 um is is apparently what what does the you know what what the problem is with the interaction so inter- it was interesting yeah cool, no that, cool that is that is that is interesting yeah, yeah. And, I, and i do i do i do vaguely remember that story too that it was kind of discovered by by accident yeah cool yeah cool 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 um, all right. What else did I, what else did I put on our list here? Uh, we've talked, we know how to clean books. We can store stuff. We talked about TikTok. We talked about Duncan. Okay. So one, this was a big topic that I wanted to talk. Well, two, actually before we leave food safety and then I want to get into something philosophical. Mm-hmm. So food safety wise, um, did, did you, we, we have not talked about, um, the Reagan Udall, uh, report. So this is the the group, the foundation that is like at arm's length, but also is linked to FDA that was charged to review FDA and their structure. Um, did you have you had a chance to look at this report? Have you seen any of the coverage um, about it? Because I'll, I'll very, update you. If yeah, not. please update me. I have not had okay. much. I, I was aware that this was going on. Wasn't there weren't there some stories that came out like sort of presaging that this was gonna this was coming right yeah yeah so we we knew that it was happening anyway there was a um there was a uh washington post article yeah um that that came out so i linked to this oh yeah yeah Yeah. because we because we know we know francisco diaz gonzalez we know barb kowalczyk um who are on the this panel that that did this evaluation so yeah we, we 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 we've talked about this before yeah. So, but, but but not but not not obviously now that this the full report is available. Yeah, full reports available. Basically, the biggest suggestion was that food and drugs should not be under the same um, administrative structure. That mm-hmm. the that um, food they they need to be um, taken differently, looked at differently. The the report talked about constant turmoil. Um, within FDA because of structure. Um, but the biggest suggestion was create a separate food administration and a drug administration within yep. HHS. Um, but that's will literally take an act of Congress. Yep. yep um, exactly. The, you know, the other idea was uh, a big, bigger is to, to create a specific deputy commissioner position for food. Um, is that not what Frank does? So, no, it it's it, it doesn't have. So let's. This is where things get a little bit, um, like confusing to me. Frank mm-hmm. is is has a deputy commissioner for food policy and response. Right. 
And then there was another deputy commissioner for like new food and nutrition. Right. Oh, um, um, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so Frank and then, um, yeah. So, so essentially that the internal strife between those two groups, um, hmm. and that both of those groups report directly to the, um, director of FDA, um, who's uh, currently our commissioner of FDA, uh, Robert Califf. Okay. And, and so the idea is that it shouldn't just be food policy, essentially. Um, and so let me go into the, let me, let's go into the actual report here. So mm -hmm. the, um, the, if you look at the office of the commissioner, so I don't know, this is linked in here. Um, yep. as well, page three gives the, yep. the, um, the org chart. So yep. there's the center for applied, um, food safety, the center for food safety and applied nutrition. Mm -hmm. And then there's the office for food policy and response. And they're mm -hmm. basically both under the commissioner, but are not in the same portion of the regulatory. Right, right. So all of our buddies that work at CIFSAN are in that left hierarchy and Frank and his office are yes. in the right hierarchy. You right. Got and so there's not, there's, and there's dotted lines, but there's not oversight. Like Frank's yes. over doing his own thing, but he really doesn't have the ability to, to, and vice versa, right? There's really, it's only if they're just, they're just talking because of dotted lines, not, not because of hierarchy. Right. Yep. And then there's yeah. another and, and, group. And then there's ORA, yes. Office of Regulatory Affairs, who are the boots on the ground people that go in and discover people um, stroking their bearded dragon and then handling their nuts. Right. Right. And they, <laughs> but they also um, like do both food and drug not just right right right, right. exactly so, yes they could yes in fact they, they could be inspecting a drug plant one day and a food plant the next day yeah. right so so actually a better way to look at the structure is on figure three on page 17 where it highlights there are a whole bunch of centers and offices that all report to the office of the commissioner um that that have different structures underneath them none of whom really interact or report to each other and again, we're in the world of org charts here, but I think it matters because the 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 way, like again, I'll I'll just read something um, from from the report that I think highlights the problem that that um, you know Francisco and Barb and and others highlighted. Quote: There is no clear human foods program leader or decision maker outside of the commissioner. That's right. the that's right. the issue. Right. So the, All of these report up to the commissioner, who has responsibility for food and drugs. Right. Yes. And most of what they're doing is drugs. Yep. Yep. Right. So it's really the drug and food administration. Yeah. Yeah. In priority and, order. Right. And and so the the um what what I really like if you go to um the Reagan Udall uh proposes two separate new structures. Um one is create something totally different, basically dissolve FDA and create a federal food administration that has its own commissioner that has CIFSAN, well, not even CIFSAN, the Center for Food Safety, Center for Nutrition, Center for Veterinary Medicine, and relevant portions of ORA, and then create a whole other federal drug administration that sits on its own, okay? Mm -hmm. um, or keep FDA the way it is and create a deputy commissioner for medical products and tobacco and a deputy commissioner for foods 
and then split out the Center for Food Safety, the Center for Nutrition, ORA for Foods, and the Center for Vet Medicine. So, it, I mean, different different suggestions. They they do talk about uh, like other um, structures, but those I think are the two that that got the most traction um, in the conversations out there. So, so essentially, you know, there are lots and lots of ways that we regulate foods from FDA and, but there were three groups with F and FDA currently that both kind of carry equal, um, power and don't agree with each other when doing the regulation, both creating the policy, doing the science, or I guess all three doing the science, um, and evaluating the science, then creating the policy and regulation and then boots on the ground, actually implementing the, and the, those regs. So whew, it was good. It, like, I don't know, it's dry reading, but it, it actually really helped me understand the structure of FDA in a way that mm -hmm. I did not know before. Yeah. Yeah. And if you wanted a primer on how, how FDA is structured, this would be a great place to start. Yeah. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Um, cool. Um, so what was the last one that I wanted to do here? Oh yeah. Big topic. Okay. So mm -hmm. I was at, a, I was at a meeting yesterday though. So, um, I, and the, like, something, something came up. So the, no, I'll, I'll give you the, the background meeting, not a food safety meeting. It was a meeting of uh, department heads who uh, all do stuff like I do, right? I, we mm -hmm. talked yep. about this earlier. Yep. We talked about this. Yeah, yep. yeah. So, so it was agricultural education, agricultural extension. Um, some folks who also do family and consumer sciences, all different land grant universities. I won't bore you with all of the, the different ways that we're all made up, but we had a conversation that I thought was really, really fruitful, just about like faculty success and this idea that I'd not like, I don't know, I'm, I'm ignorant to lots of things. Unless someone sends me something, I often don't read it um, unless it pops up in, in, you know, uh, Apple news and, and unless Tim Apple sends it to me, then I'll read it. But, but someone was talking about the science of science or as it's known mm -hmm. in an article, I just sent you sci sci which is, is really why I sent you this. So there was a, you know, of course, an article that was published in Science um, uh, back in 2000. About, wait, article in Science about mm -hmm. the science of science? That's sci sci sci. It's sci sci sci. Um, the whys and wherefores of sci sci. Uh, anyway, the, I, I read the article um, yesterday as I was as I was flying back. I thought there was a couple things that were really interesting. It made me think about you and I, and I have a question for you. So, so essentially, there the this paper, um, and it's really it's kind of it's certainly written as a little bit of a paper, but it's like a an informed opinion article. Um, where there's some data that that, they, that looks at citation distributions. It's like biblia bi bibliometrics, I guess, is the is the mm -hmm. study here. It's like looking at who's writing things about science, what like who is publishing. Where if we look at the world of publishing articles um, as a measure of science being talked about and done, right? Like it's it's a thing that we do that that sort of shares what what we've been doing as scientists. Um, it's essentially showing that the growth of science has also led to the, um, they call edges of, of disciplines that bigger teams have formed over the course of the last 
120 years, where instead of single researchers and small groups doing things that are very specific, that the idea of like multidisciplinary teams have come up, right? Interesting things that we've been that we've been doing. Um, but that is is correlated to those teams and those bigger problems lead to higher citations and more advancement in science, right? The, the combining and blurring lines between what they talk about as team science and science and engineering and social sciences and arts and humanities. If you look at science and engineering, team sizes has increased exponentially. Social sciences has is also increased exponentially, but not as drastically. But arts and humanities has not. Um, because of, I, I think really the, just the nature of, of the disciplines, but the, the, the discussion that we had, and, and there was someone from NIFA, um, who is, who is at this meeting sort of talking about what NIFA's goals are. This is the National Institute of Food and Agriculture who does a lot of funding in, in our spaces is that they've really looked at the science of science and, and trying to look for larger impacts, really encouraging people to work on teams and being more novel about including social scientists within what we do in, you know, in, in microbiology and food safety. And I thought a lot about what you and I do, because I think we're, we are often team members, right? Like we're certainly doing certain, you know, some things on our own, but we're, the, the work that we do sits at the nexus of a couple of different disciplines in ways that some of our colleagues don't do. And the, the question for you is like, I've talked, I've known you for a long time and I've talked to you about this and I know a little bit about it, but someone asked me yesterday, cause I described like what we do in the kitchens and how I got into what I do. And that, you know, my, my background is, is in food safety, but I'm really interested in behavioral science and communications. And the like another department head asked me a question that kind of like stopped me a little bit. And they said, why? Like, why do you why why do I do what I do? And and then the second follow-up question is how can we encourage other faculty members to do this? But but the question I ask, I want to ask you is like you like microbiology and you like math and you have created a world where those two things are combined and you play in you know these two these different spaces and we talked to caitlin Casuli a little bit about this mm -hmm. but what we what we didn't talk about was why so why do you do that because <laughs> i had a hard time answering this question like other than oh, i um, like it like, mm, like well yeah don't don't i can answer it easily don't expect too much um it's fun and I'm good at it. Yeah. And, and I feel like, you know, again, you know, that I say this quote more often than I should, it's like Jerry Garcia said, you don't want to be the best at what you do. You want to be the only one that does what you do. Right. And so it is a way, and I'm not probably not the only one that does what I do. There's probably, you know, a couple hundred of us doing predictive food microbiology, but I'm the only one that does it the way that I do it. Right. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, it's, um, it's about what you're good at and and where I feel I can make a difference. And honestly, what interests me? I yeah. mean, you know, it's and and it and it is very, it's not particularly well thought out. I mean, you can, you know, you life uh another famous 
aphorism I like is that life can only be understood backwards, but you have to live it forwards, right? And so you look at and you can see if you if I look back on my career, you I can see patterns, right? But as I'm moving forward, I'm not navigating based on those patterns. It's making decisions in the moment about, I like that person. I want to work with that person, right? Or I um, I don't want to work with that person. I don't want to do that kind of science. I do want to do this kind of science, right? And I do I do like to collaborate with people. Um, that's um, That makes, that's fun and interesting. And I like to be on teams where I can contribute something where I feel like I'm being useful and not be on teams where I'm not being, feel like I'm being useful. So yeah, but it's really, it's, yeah, it's really about what am I good at and and what, and who, and who's, who would be fun to work with and, and how can I contribute? So that's, that's how I make the decisions. Yeah. Did you, and, and like, I feel really, um, fortunate to have had a mentor in Doug, Doug Powell, who we've talked about mm-hmm. a lot, who, who really encouraged all, as much as he doesn't really like, he, I mean, did not really like get along with a lot of people. He really got mm-hmm. along with the people that he liked yep. and, and had really good teams. And, and, and his mentorship to me as a graduate student was yep. go find the right teams, like go yep. be, yep. go be a good teammate. And that's how you, you're, you're going to grow the field. Like, I mean, when I read this science of science article yesterday, it's what I really thought about was like, this is exactly what I was mentored to do, right? Like was, was to be on these, these edges and in having him kind of say, Hey, this is not only is this okay, but this is how I think you will be more successful. That I think went a long way into me, you know, coming to, to the position that, that I, you know, that I started here at NC state, um, as a, assistant professor and food safety specialist in a department that was not food science, finding like good partners within the food science department, but also outside and in different colleges and, and different institutions across the US to, to like help answer questions and do extension in a way where I was on those those edges. But I really like, I, I, for me, I think that's a big why. Like I didn't even, I, as, a, as a student, I didn't even think about this. Like I, I was exposed to it so like so much because this is how he operated that I just thought that this was what everybody did. And then when I got here, mm. I didn't really know that, but he had kind of given me, this is the okay thing to do. Like, this is what you should be doing. Um, and so did you like, was that, did you have any like models or mentors that you're like, oh, well these two people, or this person has put these two things together. I could do that too. Or, or did you just do it? I, I think I just did it. Right. I looked at, uh, and the other thing too, I mean, I'm thinking about um, tide pools, right? <laughs> like, like as yeah. a, as an ecosystem, right. And you mentioned like edges and interfaces, right. So, you know, the ocean is one thing, the land is another, but you know, where the ocean and the land come together there's incredible diversity, right? And so finding those really interesting interfaces, like we don't really do math or microbiology. We study math and microbiology and maybe statistics together, right? Mm-hmm, right. With respect to a particular issue or a particular thing. And so looking for those 
air edges, right? Where you, you can't like, I, again, one of the, the papers that was the most fun for me to do was a collaboration with a microbiologist and a statistician. And I could be like the glue that let the, those two people work together and also contribute, you know, my own, my own vision to the, to the article as well. And so, yeah, but, mo but mostly, <clears throat> Mostly what I did is I looked at other people in my department and I said, yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, right. right. Like we, we have some people that are really, really focused on one particular thing. And I, that does not suit my temperament. It does not suit my personality. It does not suit my working style. I like to be doing, you know, a bunch of different things, right? Uh, and, and, and again, it's sort of like I had one, I have a colleague that just does one, one thing and goes very, very deep on one particular thing. I had another colleague who was sort of like, I'm going to do half of what I'm going to do is going to be basic and fundamental. And the other half is going to be applied. And I'll sort of take one step in one direction and one step in the other and sort of proceed like oh. that. And whereas what I'm doing is like, well, you know, let's do hand washing because that seems interesting. And then it's like, well, we don't really have any more money to do hand washing. Well, you know, this other thing looks pretty interesting. Let's do that for a while. And then, and then eventually it comes around again. Like we started doing, we got interested in cooling because we, we needed some clostridium perfringens models for cooling meats because there just wasn't anybody doing that. And then, and then we got funded to do it. And then a bunch of other people did the same thing and made some, some good models. And we don't even use our model anymore, but you know, we, I, I got a lot of expertise in that and and then and now we're really interested in cooling but from the not from the perspective of meat processing but from the perspective of food service right and and working working on hopefully some issue and issue for the next conference for food protection but yeah and and also like working speaking of CFP working in food service like I had faculty tell me oh we don't do work with food service. Right, right. We yeah. work with food processors because food service, well, that's, people are always confusing food science with food service. And we don't want to, we don't want to contribute to that confusion. And I'm like, what? What? Yeah. Like, like food, but, but there's so, and talk about an active space where you can actually make a difference and get policy changed. That's conference for food protection. And right. so you can, you can actually impact people's lives, you know, much more so than, you know, in inventing, you know, deciding to increase the processing temperature by one degree, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, I mean, and again, we, we work in food, work with food processors as well, but, but just to say, well, this whole area of food science, this whole area of food safety that deals with restaurants and grocery stores, that's just too mundane and too pedestrian for us. So we're, we're not going to do that. It's like, well, I, then you're, you're, you're really missing out on some opportunities. So, so yeah, it's not a, it's not a, it's not, it is, it is now I can realize it's a strategy, but it wasn't, it was more like, well, I'm, I'm, as I, 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 I don't, and we've probably talked about this before on the podcast as well. I, I don't like strategic planning. I, I don't think big picture. I think, I think tactical, what am I going to do today? Right. And what's of interest to me today. And if I keep doing those same things that are of interest to me every day, pretty soon I have a team and I have a project and I have a publication. And then if that was fun and I've got more ideas, I keep going. If not, I jump to one of the other areas. Um, but it's not, 
I'm, I'm certainly not building, I, I have, may I, maybe I have built an empire. I've certainly built a career. Um, but it wasn't because I set out with this master plan. It was really more just like, I'm just going to do this looks interesting to me today. Yeah. That's really, I like, I, I don't know. I don't think I ever thought about it. Right. What, and I had yeah. a, I had another mentor, my, my former department head, um, Carolyn Dunn, who, who um, really early on in my career was like, you should think about what you do in buckets. And I like, that will never leave me. Like, and I, everybody I kind of talk to as a, a new faculty member, I think about, I tell them about buckets because it really like stuck in my mind. She's like, it doesn't matter what those buckets are, like for you hand washing and cooling, those are buckets, right? Like those are, mm -hmm. right, those are right. things that, that you, you've, you've grown, you keep adding things to the bucket. It helps you sort when when opportunities come along my 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 problem ben is i keep finding more buckets yeah yeah well it, or like i i think the <laughs> the thing that i that i found was you know there were three or four buckets that i that i started with and then i found some more buckets but i couldn't let go of some of the other buckets because i became the guy who had that bucket yep and 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 i but even though i'm not doing so much in like farmers markets is a good good example where it's like early on i did a lot of farmers market stuff it's not really my bucket anymore but because of the history i still get get called or talked about or people ask me about stuff related to that farmers market bucket um i i you know, the, I, the, so what, what, what I'm thinking about, and I guess grappling with a little bit in this, like why I wanted to talk about this was I, you know, now, now in my like meta role of being a department head, I've, I've got, um, you know, new, we in, in our department have new additions to our department, new faculty members that, that are starting their careers. And I, you know, I'm, I'll be I'll be real open and honest. I struggle with how to mentor someone on what, like, how to do what I did because it's not the only model, right? Like, it's right. Like there there right. are other like it was it was good for me. It was really successful, and it continues to be successful. But there there are different models out there that that I'm trying to like think about and learn about so I can share that with those. Um, with those new faculty members in a, in a mentoring standpoint and not like, uh, you know, not, not sort of nudge somebody in, in a specific direction, but be able to say, here are different ways of, of success and, and the bucket and being on the edges of, of these disciplines was something that I like love, but that might not be for everybody. Um, and so it, this, the, but, but what was like really, I don't know, stuck in my mind as I was reading that, that short paper was the, the higher profile, successful citation, pushing the edges of science happens at those edges, according to that sort of science and of science, right? Like the people that, and which is something that I've really enjoyed, like that's, is like the being, being on those edges, being someone who, who gets called by you know, by folks to comment on things or to help fix a problem. I think that has come because of being on those edges in, if I think about where, what I've done in my, in my career, but that also might not be for everybody. Like I, I remember I asked a question of a, of a, this is before I was department head, but during a search, um, uh, of a new faculty member a while ago, um, you know, like I had this perception of like, I wanted to know what our what new faculty wanted to be like famous for 
and and whatever fame means, right? Like famous within your discipline, famous outside of the discipline. And one of the the um, the respondents was like, I don't want to be famous for anything. Like that's not why I'm here. That's not why I want to be a faculty member. And I was like, whoa, that kind of struck me interestingly. Like that that's not why. I don't know. That I did. I never hmm. thought about that. Like I wanted. Like I, I. I just assumed that we all wanted to have some sort of notoriety within our discipline or within our within our space, or or we wouldn't be here. And and the, this individual was like, no, I don't really. I I want to I want to like train students in in the area that I'm interested in. I want to advance the the science, but I don't want to be famous for it. It's like whoa. And yeah. Anyway. I I'm yeah, but see, I don't know. I mean, I you you. I'm not sure I would want that person on my faculty, right? Because I, I think as an academic, one of the things that you have to get comfortable with as an academic, if you want to be, in my opinion, a successful academic is self-promotion, right? Yeah. You, you have to, you have to be able to tell the story of how you're good at something, right? And what you're famous for. And, and the, again, and it's not, <clears throat> it's, it's not a, um, you don't you don't do it in a self-aggrandizing way. You don't right. do it in a fake way. You don't lie. You're not like uh, Santos. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. You know, uh, making stuff up. Right. You're truthful. But you I mean, that's how you write. a. That's how you write a biography. Right. That's how you write your your short bio is like, uh, here's how here's who I am and what I'm famous for. So now maybe maybe that person, maybe it was, you know, struggling with the famous word. Maybe there's a way you could phrase that. It's like, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to do? I mean, but but somebody who who you've got you've got to be able to do self-promotion and you've got to be able to be you know again at least a legend in your own mind right for on something so yeah right right well and and so i'll i'll call out the um the guy who who was talking about this who i met yesterday did a a good job sort of highlighting this science of science and he he was uh someone who was a faculty member with the libraries um Mm -hmm. about like bibliometrics and 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 just like wh- how does how does information spread and he'd done some work on evaluating what nsf did like 20 years ago it was really interesting what he he shared some stuff as well that i think plays into this and i think maybe maybe you're right like or you're you're almost certainly right the way that i phrased that question about fame and infamy maybe that's the wrong word maybe that's the trigger word but but what what do you want to be known for even in your, you know, not, not even widespread that that's probably a better way to, to, to ask that question. But, um, so anyway, Bruce Herbert was the guy yesterday who was talking a little bit about this and he talked about like, as a researcher, as a scientist, as a faculty member, you know, building your reputation and it's stuff like, again, things that I'm thinking about as I mentor, you know, new faculty members. He's and I'll, I'll like read directly from the notes I took. He's like, craft your narrative, build your digital identity, make your work accessible, justify your narratives with some metrics, you know, um, show your impact. Uh, what's what's your research impact? What's your extension impact? You know, he he said something that was really, you know, I, I thought interesting. He said, as as someone who meets with faculty members through the RPT process, the re, um, reappointment, promotion, and tenure process, mm-hmm. he's like, do you have all of your like articles in Google Scholar, like, is it all up to date, right? Like, have you thought about that? Because that that's a way 
for people to find you, for other people to find that you do stuff like this, that you could be part of a team, that um, you know, it, it gets your notoriety out there. I never like, I mean, I do it really for like selfish reasons, right? Like I'm interested to see how many citations there are. And really, so if I know what my Kardashian in, index is. Um, nice. but, but I was like, yeah, that's a really, like, I don't know, that's an easy thing for people to do. And there are benefits, right? Like the reason why I'd like to talk to the media is because I like to talk to the media, but also it, it results in being a person who does a lot of different stuff. And someone sees me in the media article, cause they're just looking for like food safety and consumers. And then all of a sudden I'm on a, like a team of people um who who are investigating something anyway it was like I, I think intrinsically i know a lot of this stuff but i don't know why i know it right like i don't know how i learned it i don't know how like other than like you know i i had mentors that were like that explicitly said these are good things to do and encouraged it but i don't know if everybody gets that same mentorship so i've been i'm trying I'm, I'm struggling with it i'm trying to think about ways to do that yeah, no, and I'm sure not everybody gets that same membership. And the, the thing too about to realize about academia is like there's I can only tell you what my path was, right? Yes. And I, I can't tell you what your path is going to be. You have to figure that out for yourself. Now, I there's probably some common truths, right? Like um, you know, there's you know, you should be you should publish papers and you should get grants and you should go to meetings and you should give talks and you should get involved in your scientific societies, right? But you should you should review for journals. You should try you could aspire to be a journal editor. You could you could aspire to be a department chair or a department head. I think there are there are multiple paths, and I realized pretty quickly. Well, not pretty quickly. I could still do it. Um, I that I was I would prefer the scientific society leadership path, and I would prefer the reviewer, editorial board, journal editor path. Um, just because those seem more fun than being an administrator. But but yeah. there's a lot of people. We have, there are people we know that have like started off as faculty, and then they were department chairs or department heads, and then they were deans, and some of them are presidents, right of you <laughs> right. know of of actual real universities. Um, and that was what worked for them. And that's, and that's okay. Right. I wouldn't ever tell somebody don't do that. I'm pretty sure that's not for me. Right. Just like, I'm also pretty sure that being an expert in one very specific narrow area and, you know, getting, uh, uh you know, on the NIH teat for my whole career is probably not the going to be the way I'm going to make a career. Cause that just seems God awful boring. Right. I would much rather um, have uncertainty about where grant money is coming. I'm not I like a certainty, but but it's yeah. fun. To, it's fun to have to have a new idea every year if I want to get funded. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, it, and it gets your like gets your creative juice of juices flowing. Right. Well, like, I and, it, go, and it. Yeah. And it fits with being in cooperative extension, too. That's something we haven't talked about. But it is so I couldn't I could not imagine. And this is having spent 30 years as an extension specialist, right? I could not imagine having a regular teaching job. It would, I mean, I'm sure if I was put in that position, I would be fine at it. But I love being in cooperative extension and being able to talk to people who are having real problems. And that gives me ideas for research. And then the research that I do gives me ideas for things I can talk to people in terms of outreach about. I mean, that that has been such an amazing and interesting and rewarding part of my life that I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't 
I wouldn't have done it any other way, right? I mean, again, I could have done it. Sure, I could, I could, I could have, I could have done any of this stuff, right? But right. the the path that I chose, I'm really glad that I chose that path because because I have a really interesting job that is, for the most part, not. It's not boring. It's not. It's probably stressful, but it's stressful for because I keep finding more buckets, Ben. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. It will, and it, and it keeps it keeps things exciting right those more buckets yeah yeah um so i think i think that's a show i got a heart out um in in like now now well not really like a, a soft out i have an out um but uh but yeah the, th- thanks for indulging me in this like big topic conversation i feel like we've got a this is our structure we, we've not done uh FDA, CDC, B plus recently, CDC, FDA, B plus, mm-hmm. but, but we need to do that again. But this, I like to bring these like big topics and get your thoughts on it. And so anyway, thanks for yeah. Well, and just like, a, no, no problem. Anytime. And so just as a teaser, um, some things that we did not get to today, an update on big Olaf's yeah. uh, uh, risk perceptions and uh, mitigation techniques in dumpster diving in Sweden, um, I want to talk about. And so we've got plenty of good stuff to talk about for next time too. And Al, Al Pastor cooking, which, you know, maybe, yes. maybe that's, that's one I think we need a deep dive here on. So, um, so that might be a risky or not, but I think we do it here too. Uh, cool. Well, thanks. Thanks. Thanks again. And uh, it was good. It was good catching up. This is a long one. Yeah. But that's, that's what we're here for. We're, we're, hey, we're we're here for a good time, not for a long time, except when they're when they're long. All right, I don't know. I got bye, 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 bye. bye. do have time to schedule though okay cool it's, i was uh, hoping i get i get together once a month with uh mampri um and renee like writing oh, nice. buddies but department head buddies so oh nice yeah uh but it's at 10 30 so um so the week of the 17th isn't bad um i got a couple of things going on What do you have? Are you around that week? Do you have anything going yeah. on? No. We got risky or not on the 17th. Yeah. 
could you, I know Fridays aren't your preferred time, but could you do Friday morning again? I could. Okay. Uh, well, I got a hard out at 11. Yeah, me too. I have a more of a, like a hard out at 1045 because I got to get my teeth cleaned okay. at my dentist. But okay. if we, but if we could do like 830? 8, 830, that would be awesome. All right, 8.30, FST, perfect. Sounds good. All right, I will see you, uh, well, maybe not. I'll, I'll talk to you, maybe not next week, but the week after for sure. All right, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.